Lord God Almighty, in whose name the founding fathers of this country won liberty for themselves and for us, and lit the torch of freedom for many nations yet unborn, grant that we and all the people of this land may by your grace remain free in righteousness and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Joseph W. Burris, also known as the Amazing Joe, was a magician and an illusionist and a lifelong fan of the great Houdini. At the age of 32, he decided he would conquer one escape that Houdini had failed at, being buried alive. Yes, the amazing Joe would attempt to escape from being buried alive in a self-built plexiglass coffin, buried not six, but seven feet in the ground, then covered with wet concrete. But just minutes after the coffin containing Joe was placed in the ground and the hole had been filled to the brim, his special coffin collapsed under the immense weight and Joseph Burris was crushed to death by literally tons of concrete. Would you ever agree to take part in a magic trick that required you to be buried alive? What if someone tried really hard to convince you that it would be all right? What would your response be? I think my response would be, you first. (laughs) Because unless you're a thrill-seeking, super-adrenaline junkie, there is no amount of conversation that would convince you to set aside your sensibilities and the things you know to be requirements for human existence, like oxygen. And you probably have enough self-awareness to know that you do not possess the superhuman strength that would be required to dig to the surface, even if you were able to somehow get the coffin open. And did I mention claustrophobia? Well, maybe after seeing somebody else perform the trick successfully, you would consider trying it, but likely you would still choose not to take your life into your own hands and risk imminent death for no reason other than a, self, a sense of self-satisfaction or glorification. I know I wouldn't. However, the stark reality of our human condition is that all of us face certain death. Because of the corruption of sin, our bodies degrade and fail. We suffer violence, accidents, even natural disasters. Yes, even nature itself, which was designed to bless and sustain us, was corrupted by the fall of mankind and millions die each year from everything from hurricanes, tornadoes, and earthquakes to starvation and simple exposure to the elements. And some even choose their own death to end the anguish and suffering they experience in life. Truth be told, our lives are a waiting game. It's not a question of if we are going into the coffin to be buried, but rather when. We have no choice in the matter. And once we do, the weight of our sin has already overcome us. Because the consequence of sin is certain death, we have no ability of our own effort to overcome death. Death is certain, but we find hope in this, that there is one who has gone before us, Jesus Christ. He takes the risk, walks the very same journey that lays ahead of us. Instead of just offering trite words of hope or vague opinions, he chooses a more painful death than any of us could imagine having to face. Then, being buried in a hole in a hillside, his body lays behind an immovable boulder, 
not to prevent escape, but rather theft. The scandal of a missing Jesus would be so great, in fact, that Pilate orders guards to keep watch over the site. And there's no one who would tangle with Roman centurions over the prospect of looting a corpse. But when Sunday morning comes, Jesus is missing. In our gospel reading, we heard the account of what happened that morning. Two women who were Jesus' followers go to visit the grave. Then suddenly, as they approach, an angel shows up. There's an earthquake and lightning, which is apparently too much for the battle-hardened soldiers who faint. And then the angel speaks up and says, hey, don't be afraid. Then he has the privilege of being the first to proclaim that Christ is risen. And he invites the women in to see for themselves the empty tomb. The women then go back and tell the disciples what they have seen, just as the angel instructed them. Jesus has done the impossible rising in victorious glory, conquering both sin and death. And if that weren't enough, in his great love for us, he extends the invitation to us that we too might rise with him. Isn't that good news? Can I get an amen? (laughs) This morning we continue our series, examining the faith of the church expressed in the ancient words of the Apostles' Creed. And the portion that we look at this morning is, on the third day he rose again. If you're familiar with the narrative, then you know that Jesus was buried late in the day on a Friday and rose early on Sunday morning. In present time, we would hardly call that three days. Jesus' body was in the ground for approximately 36 hours, but the ancients counted inclusively Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hence, on the third day, he rose again. But that's not really all that important other than to know that for every minute, From the time Jesus was arrested until the stone was rolled away from the tomb on Sunday morning, there were onlookers, spectators, and participants, eyewitnesses to every single event that took place who could account for where Jesus' body was, both alive and dead. Jesus' exit from the earth was just as supernatural as his entry through the virgin birth, marking him truly as son of the living God. And through his rising, Jesus is vindicated for a lifetime of claiming to be God. His resurrection proves it by demonstrating power, victory over sin and death. 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 15, verse 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. That is how vital this aspect of our faith is. Without it, There is no faith. It would have been one thing if Jesus had said he was going to his grave to defeat death and would have come back someday to prove it, and I'm sure by now he would have been forgotten as one of the many over the course of history who have made outrageous claims of greatness and even divinity but still lie dead in the ground. If that were the case, he would only bear the status of legend or conspiracy theory. His greatness would have been similar to the likes of Walt Disney. According to Urban Tale, Walt Disney had his body cryogenically frozen in the hope that one day medical science would develop to the point that he could be thawed out and reanimated. But I don't think there are many who have staked their lives on that happening. However, 2,000 years later, we are not only still talking about Jesus, 
but we, we are living lives devoted to his teachings and believing in his words of life. And to that end, Jesus even prophesied about his own death and resurrection. In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus didn't have to tell his disciples about his resurrection. But the reason he did was for their faith. That having witnessed with their own eyes the most outrageous of his claims, they might believe him and have faith in all that he said and did, including his guarantee of our forgiveness and justification before God the Father. Romans 4, chapter 25 through 5, 2 tells us, He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right with God in in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. There's a moment on the cross when Jesus cries out saying, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Bearing our sins, the sins of the whole world, Jesus, for the first time ever, experienced separation from the Father. If the wages of sin are certain death, then Jesus, bearing our sin, certainly experienced the fullness of death and separation from God the Father that would have been ours to inherit for eternity. But his perfect sacrifice satisfies the wrath of God once and for all time, And that is why Jesus rises from the dead when we could not have. He defeats sin that if not for him would have certainly overcome us because he's stronger. And if we accept by faith in Jesus Christ the payment that was made on our behalf instead of foolishly ignoring it in in pride trying to prove that we could have done it ourselves, then in addition to our pardon, Jesus has secured for us in eternity, in the presence of the Father. We can live now confidently and joyfully, looking forward to resurrection with Jesus. Absent of pain and suffering, no longer having bodies that degrade and age, everlasting peace will replace violence. We will have for one and once in all time shed the remnant shackles of sin and depravity. This is why the Apostle Paul writes confidently in Philippians chapter 1, 21, that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He's so sure of his eternal destination that he is torn between his desire to get there and his desire to continue in ministry for the sake of others. And he continues to write in verse 22, if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. You see, it's not just because the joy of his eternal destination has spilled over into this life. When he said it's better if I continue to live, it is because he was already living the abundant life that Christ promised to all of his followers. Paul had already experienced resurrection. The old Paul, Saul actually, 
who persecuted Christians for the sake of religion and self-righteousness, was dead. And the new Paul, after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, was free. His life profoundly transformed. Nothing could stop him from sharing the good news, not being bad-mouthed, run out of town, shipwrecked, or even stoned. As he lived into the freedom he had in Christ, he became the, well, the most well-recorded apostle, taking the good news we still preach today to Europe and Asia Minor. In Paul, the old had gone and the new had come. Now comes the hard question. When we're honest with ourselves, can we say with just as much confidence that to live is Christ but to die is gain? Is our belief in Jesus and his resurrection resulting in a life marked by complete trust in Christ? If your answer is unequivocally yes, then welcome to sainthood. But I would wager that for many of y'all, your answer is probably the same as mine. If that's the case, or if your answer is no, please don't let it stay that way. Today can be your spiritual independence day from sin and death. And I would invite you to find one of the prayer teams here shortly when we take communion. They would love to talk and pray with you about finding your resurrection in Christ today. For all of us, experiencing that new and abundant life in Christ, the freedom we have when we truly believe that Jesus had conquered death once and for all requires us, just like Paul, to die to self. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We must die to self if we want to know the new and abundant life of the risen Christ. As we sang earlier, Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dying to self means releasing our grip from little s saviors that only offer a small measure of comfort in life and none in death. Dying to self means to stop living for ourselves, to stop pursuing our own selfish desires and allow ourselves to be transformed that we might live in God's desires, bowing to his will and perfect design for our lives. There are many little s saviors too. I find in my own life that as soon as I have uncovered one, drag it into the light of day before my Christian brothers and start to release my grip from it. Just about the time I'm free of it, I find two more. And the process starts all over again for freedom from the idol of money, then the idol of being poor to prove I didn't have an idol of money, then food, alcohol, sex, tobacco, and the list will go on and on for the rest of my life and yours as there are a number of things we will put our hope in other than the one true Savior. But I know that for every inch of space that's cleared from my heart, I experience new and unprecedented levels of freedom as the seed of the gospel is given room to grow and bear fruit in my life. What would it mean if we all really had faith? I mean, really believed into not just the resurrection of Christ, but that we would also rise with him. Some of the greatest proof of the resurrection is how the disciples lived out their lives afterward. Something happened to them after Jesus' death. They were all in hiding, ashamed they were his followers. 
but suddenly something catalyzed them into action. Because they had seen the risen Christ with their own eyes, they not only believed in the resurrection as an intellectual fact, but they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming it, unwavering in their mission to hand down the faith that was deposited in them. Because we now share that faith, we proclaim Jesus' resurrection just as his first disciples did. Jesus' resurrection is truly the most amazing thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And people are dying to hear about it. People need to know why it happened. They need to hear about the immense love that God has for them. Because we believe, we share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, facing our changing and ever more hostile world with no fear of death, rejection, or discomfort. Amen. Jesus' first disciples were persecuted, and some of them were easily crucified themselves. But each of them went to their end, knowing they would rise again with Christ. And because of our faith in him, so do we. Let's pray. O God, for who our redemption gave your only begotten Son to death on the cross, and by his glorious resurrection delivered us from the power of our enemy, grant us so to die daily to sin, that we may evermore live with him in the joy of his resurrection, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.